Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. We are continuing our sermon series in the book of Proverbs. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn there, feel free to jump in. But we're going to kind of skip all over the book of Proverbs today. So maybe a little bit tricky trying to keep up with all the, all the different verses. But uh, if you want to jump in and follow along, that'd be great. We'll put most of them on the screen for you so that you can follow along. Several years ago, a man told me uh, or gave me a piece of advice that I thought was really helpful enough that I remembered it. And he said, uh, there's three places you should never be stingy and try to skimp and save money. He said uh, those three places were your shoes, your office chair, and your mattress. Because you spend a third of your life on each one. And that's not a good place to try to pinch 50 or or $100 when you're going to spend eight hours of every day in that thing for the next 10 years. Those are probably not good places to spend money, but it, it stood out to me at the time because I had just never really thought about how much time you actually spend at school or at work. When you think about a 24-hour period of a day and the fact that you may be there from 8 until 3.34 if you're a student, 5 or 6 if you're a worker, but you spend an incredible amount of time in that area. And for, whether you're at school or at work or whether you're, you're at home trying to manage a household, uh, work takes an incredible amount of effort and energy and time in our lives, doesn't it? And yet, how many sermons from this book have you heard about that one-third of your life? About work, about what it looks like to be a good employee or to be a good student or to dive into it. Well, I, we're going to jump into that today. We're going to talk about work and what it look like, what it looks like for us as we head back to school, as we head into the office on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever uh, your schedule looks like. Uh, what, is, what is your outlook for this next year? And we're going to look to the scriptures and see what we can find. And for some of you, uh, work or school is just kind of a drudgery of a necessary evil that you have to endure this side of heaven, right? Like when you think about these things, you're like, oh, I got to go back to school or I got to go to work. And it feels like a drudgery for others of you. Uh, it's the place that you run to look for approval and affirmation and success and to make a name for yourself and to carve out a piece of the world for yourself. And so you're energized and you're excited and you're ready to jump in. And it's interesting, this last couple of years, everyone has called this season uh, the the great resignation from COVID in 2020 till now, they've called it the great resignation. Statistically speaking, there's actually more people trying to quit work, change jobs, get out of whatever it is they were doing and get to something else than ever before. And so there's an interesting conversation in our world just about what is the meaning of work? What is the value of work? What should work be? And what do we do with these institutions and corporations that seem to take advantage of us and leverage us in an inhuman sort of a way in order to get squeeze something out of us when we're just trying to pay our bills and get by and make, make a living? And you see all these different 
conversations that are happening. And so many people are, are trying to move into the gig culture. And like, I just want to get out of this and I'm going to run a couple side hustles and try to make ends meet over here because I'm tired of bowing down to the institution or whatever it may be. And there's all this dialogue in our, in our conversation about what does a just work world look like? What does a more human uh, kind of connection look like in the midst of a technological corporate global economy? And so here's what I, what I see kind of going on in our world is there's just a lot of tension in this area because it takes so much of our time and energy, doesn't it? And something that we devote ourselves to so fully and requires and demands so much of us just to put food on the table and to, put, to make sure that our, our, our AC works in a summer where we seem to hit 100 more than we don't. Uh, those are the things we're fighting for, and that elevates or creates tension. And what, I, what I'm excited about today is I feel like this book gives us a lot of direction that is timeless truth, that, that doesn't just waver with the ups and downs of, the, of, of, of cultural opinion and preference and, and ideology, but points us to some things that we can actually hold on to in the midst of this. I also want to tell you, we are trying to put some things on the calendar, even for the next year. Uh, We've got an event coming up in January. We want to talk about being human in in an inhuman world. And we want to create some dialogue where we can jump in and and deal with some of these bigger cultural conversations. And I'll just confess today when I started, or this week when I was looking at my study, I do what I typically do, which is I dive all in. And uh, I've got this, this, this disease of, I want to be able to teach everything there is to know on something, and, and I want to do it in this week. But that, we're not going to be able to do that today. So I just want you to know that I recognize there's bigger conversations we need to have about some of these things, and we're going to continue to have some of those. But today we're going to jump in, and we're really going to look at two things. We're going to talk about the dignity of our work and the dysfunction of our work. And so we're going to just dive in here. And in order to value and invest in work appropriately or school appropriately, we need to see our work as a calling or vacation that serves a greater purpose than self-fulfillment and self-interest. That if we're going to value and understand work, we have to see it as a part of something bigger than simply self-fulfillment or self-interest or, or, or taking care of self. We're going to need to... So let's start with the, with the dignity of our work. It could be a Proverbs 12, um, number, verse 11. Uh, it says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Uh, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. How many of you worked the land this week? About two of you. Two of you had land to work, so the rest of you are being disobedient. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what this is saying. It's not talking about land. It's not saying we all have to go back to school and get an agricultural degree and learn how to farm or learn how to cultivate or do something, although that may not be a bad idea. But, uh, but it's not saying we all have to go and do that. Uh, what it's talking about is when it says works is land, that's the economic base of their life. That's your job. Whoever does his job and does an honest day's work will have plenty of bread. And, um, and he's saying that all honest work is really worthwhile. The, to work your land, whatever it is your land is, do you know what your, your land is? What is the land that you work? What is the, the thing that you do to make life work in your world? Your job or managing the house or, or, or teaching the kids or whatever it is that you do in your world in order to make life work, that's what he's talking about here. And he says, if you go and you put in an honest day's work, if you go to school and actually lean in and, and learn what you can and do the things you're supposed to do, that, that's a noble pursuit. 
But you notice he contrasts that with those who have worthless pursuits. And that could be translated fantasies. Um, do you know anyone, any people that live in fantasy land? Like they, they go through life and they think things are going to work out a certain way and they think they can just turn and roll it out. But it's one who chases a fantasy that he says has no sense. By has no sense, he's saying that they, they don't know how to provide for themselves and to preserve their life in the world because they're running after fantasies and make-believe things. They dismiss or dislike the practical realities of life. Um, all of us have difficulties with having to pay bills, right? Like none of us love to write that check. Uh, no one loves to pay taxes at the end of the year. Uh, th- those are just normal, functional realities of life. What he's saying is this person, not only, they, they just dismiss those things, and they don't, rather than learning how to navigate them. But what we need to do, what Proverbs is going to tell us, is there's actually dignity to just going to work, doing an honest day's work, and, and, and earning an honest wage. And in that, being able to pay and provide for your life and preserve the life that you have. God made us to work and to make an investment in the good of the world. Do you realize God made you to work? Bible, first, first book of the Bible, Genesis. Chapter 1 and 2, God created everything. He says, and it was good, and he gets to man, he says, it was very good. You know what, Genesis 2.15, I mean, before we get there, wait, don't show that yet. When did sin show up in the Bible? What chapter? I've said this before, you guys got to know this, come on. What chapter does sin show up in the Bible? Three. Okay, so we're in Genesis 2. So sin here yet? No. Okay, let's look at what Genesis 2, 15 says. The Lord God took man that he created and said was very good. And he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Oh, so work showed up before sin showed up. So according to God's design and the paradise of the Garden of Eden, according to God's creation of the world, he created man and he put him in a garden in order to work. Friends, I hate to break it to you, but that probably means when God comes back and makes all things new and creates a new earth, you're going to work. Because God made you to work. God himself worked. In fact, the way in which Genesis spells out the way God created the world, it's he he created and he gives us day one and day two and day three. And it paints a picture of all the work God did to make the world. And then he rested on the seventh day. And not because he needed to rest, because he showed us an example that us being finite, weak beings or, or creatures would need rest from our work even before the fall, even before sin showed up in the world. Now to be sure, Genesis 3 happens, right? And sin and sorrow come into the world. And at that time, uh, what you see is that, that the work is going to be harder. It says the working of the land is going to be filled with thorns and thistles, meaning it's going to require a lot more of us. It says by the sweat of your face, meaning it's going to take a lot more effort to work the land and make it work in a fallen world than it did before. But it's not work that was evil. Work was actually good. It was something God created. And so, friends, do you see that there's dignity of working whatever the Lord has assigned to you? Uh, I think that's an important thing for us to understand because uh, students, as you go back to school, where this is important for you is for you to know that when you sit down and you open up a math textbook or you open up a chemistry book and you learn about God's world and the way he made it, that there's a value in that work. And you putting in a good day's a good day's learning, a good day's pro- progress in growing in knowledge and building yourself, you're actually doing something that God has created you to do, which is to learn how to provide and how to preserve and how to 
how, how to develop life as he intended it to be. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to dive in, and, uh, and I want us to look first at Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, one of my favorite little passages on work, and it's kind of the seminal passage in Proverbs on work. Proverbs 6, and we're going to go 6 through 11. And what, what, he's gonna, what the, the writer of Proverbs is going to do, or this chapter is going to do, is tell us that uh, you can learn two ways. You can learn by watching the example of someone else, or you can learn by the bad experience of yourself. And so either you learn and learn how to do something right from watching someone else do it, or you're going to make mistakes and learn the hard way, and you get to choose which course you want. So let's look and see what he says. Proverbs 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. I love that word. It's just a fun one to say. It sounds like what it means, right? You sluggard. And you're not supposed to call people names in our world, but back then they apparently didn't have a problem. But it wasn't just, we, we think of sluggard and it was saying, it was just like, well, you no good, lazy, sorry guy. Like, you know, it was some, but it really means more than that in the Bible. Sluggard actually means something more like the, the one who in his work does not practice wisdom. So it's not just saying you lazy guy. It's saying you who, because of your rebelliousness against God, is, are not working according to a wise plan, it kind of gets this label in the book of Proverbs of sluggard. And so anytime it's talking about sluggard, it's saying you who refuse to work according to the way the world works that God created it, and according to the way that God created it. Does that make sense? All right, so let's jump in. Go to the ant. What, how big is an ant? I'm, I'm never, may never get through this today. Uh, how, ant's a little bitty guy, right? So you... You big, important human being, get down on your hands and knees and look at that little ant. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, uh, when will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Where do you fold your hands? You put them on your belly when you're sitting there. It's like a little folding of your hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. So you can learn from the good example of an ant. You important giant human, get down and have some humility and learn from an ant that knows what to do. Or you can, you can try it your own way and learn the hard way. It would be much more difficult. Uh, so what do we learn from the ant here? What things do you see from the ant? First, you see it says, consider her ways. That means that, that the ant has some character about her. She, she has a, a, a pattern of life, ways of operating that she always does. She can be trustworthy. She's predictable. She's reliable. She's always going to do the same thing. She's going to take care of things. So, so there's some character about her ways. She's a self-starter, she, which means she shows up for work. Then she says she has no overseer, no ruler. She has no one around going go do that. There's no one around going, I'm going to ground you if you don't go do the thing. Uh, no, no teacher that's having to tell them, like, have you done your assignment yet? But it's someone who is a self-starter, and so she's self-driven. There's this preparation. It says she prepares and she gathers. So she plans her time, and she does the things that are necessary in order to produce the life that she needs. And so she's at work in those things. There's consistency. Notice that she's working both at summertime and at harvest time, meaning she doesn't flake out halfway through. She, she works consistently all the way through. Uh, and then what do you see? She also gets to reap the reward, doesn't she? And so there's enjoyment. She re reaps, reaps the reward of bread and food 
that satisfies her because of her work. You can learn a lot from an ant, can't you? It's important to understand. Solomon's saying you can learn by watching the ant, or you can learn through your own experiences. So notice the other example of the sluggard. What do we see about the sluggard? And he doesn't want to do a whole lot of work, does he? Uh, the sluggard gets, gets busy. He doesn't want to get started. Then he discovers after it's too late that there's a problem. Uh, it, it's always something that happens. He's surprised by the outcome. You know, it says that he, it will come on you like a robber. Meaning you're just going through life thinking everything's all, all, all cheery. And all of a sudden you get slugged upside the head. And you realize you don't have anything to protect yourself. It surprises you. So the sluggard thinks he's going to go through work. And he's gonna, food's just going to show up on the table. But when it doesn't happen, he's like, wait, why isn't something growing in my field? Like, well, you didn't plant anything. Uh, you know, people like that, they look around and pull up their phone and like, why is there no money in my bank account? Like, I, I thought there'd be something in there. You know, what? you get to the end of a deal, and you go, oh, wh- how did I get a D in chemistry? And it's like, well, you got a D on every test on the way to there, so on the way to the final. So that's probably how you got to a D. But if then they get to the end and they look at the report card and they go, Mom, I don't know. I don't know how that happened, you know? Um, and you think how it is, but you notice how easy it is to slide off course. It's just a little, right? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. The saying is the little things make the difference. The little patterns that you do and getting up every day and doing the things that you need to do that day and following through. And, and what he's saying is it's, it's too many excuses, too many hesitations, too many procrastinations, too many uh, postponements of getting things done. One guy said, it's a little, a little, a little. He does not commit himself to refusing work, but it deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. By inches and minutes, his opportunity slips away. Isn't that good? By not taking advantage of the little things that need to get done, the opportunity to make a way for himself slips away. You know, so that, uh, when someone asks for a commitment, it's a little too, too tough on him. Uh, I love how the, 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 the writer here says, you know, how long will you lie there? When will you rise from your sleep? And what's he say? Oh, just a little more. Don't pin me down. Don't make me commit. Don't ask me to, to jump in and do something. Just give me a little space, a little bit, just a little more. And eventually gets himself in trouble. Uh, students, can I just give you a, a, a sort of little tip as you start another semester? Finals come around every year. <laughs> Papers have deadlines and you have to actually turn them in. Uh, assignments, uh, uh, books that you have to read and write a book report, it's, it becomes increasingly difficult to read the book and write at the same time. So you may want to read in advance of having to write the report. Uh, you, you guys understand how that works, right? Um, I, I've been here before and I know, what this, I know what it's like to pull all-nighters because you didn't do it all along. And it's exhausting, but you can sometimes get away with it. Sometimes. Um, I got away with it quite a bit. In fact, my mom had to type some of those papers, but that's another story for another day. Can I give you a, a little bit of, can I give you a little more info though? Uh, if, if a little and a little and a little can get you in trouble, do you realize that a little by little you can actually get better too? Uh, look with me at Proverbs thirteen eleven. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So friends, if you can get off course little by little, you can actually get back on course little by little. 
Uh, that's the good news that's here. And uh, the fact is that we, get, we, we, we work ourselves out by little by little doing an honest day's work. It's the little things that shape your life. You create a pattern or a path or a way of life by going through the same routine over and over and over. Getting up and doing the little things, getting out of bed, turning off your alarm clock, getting in the shower, uh, eating a breakfast, going to work, doing your assignments, listening in class, taking notes, uh, going to work and listening to your boss. And then maybe even asking questions to make sure you understood. Like those are the little things you do that help carve you out a path for you to move forward. And little by little actually increases your character and shapes who you are as a person so that you learn how to work well. So do you understand the dignity of your work? That God and his sovereign plan for the universe in his creation of creatures called humans that bear his image and that, uh, that, that display him to the world in the way in which we live, we're called and created to do work. And so there's dignity to whatever you work to do as long as it's an honest day's work. It's important for, uh, for us to understand that. Now, when you look at Proverbs, Proverbs focuses more on actually the dysfunction of our work. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at the dysfunction of our work because it's a major theme in the book of Proverbs. In fact, that word sluggard shows up all the way through this book over and over and over. I think partially because we spend a third of our lives there. And it takes so much effort. It wants to give us instruction there. But you have to, but before you can talk about the dysfunction of work, I need you to understand the dignity of your work before you get in and look at the other, because that foundation is important for us. So let's talk about the dysfunction of work, and let's begin that by looking at Proverbs 26. Uh, Proverbs 26, there, there's actually four verses here that deal with work in a row, and we're going to take them one at a time. But Proverbs 26, 13 says, uh, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the streets. As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in his dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Uh, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So we're going to look at 12 different dysfunctions that, that Proverbs talks about uh, that, that show up in our working world. And here's what I want you to understand. Um, you probably don't have all 12. But you probably have some of the 12. Okay, so all, we all have bents and, and, and things that, that push us in different directions. And chances are you're not going to look at all 12 of these. And you may get to the first two and be like, oh, dude, I'm good. I don't have any problems with this. But you may get to number four and go, ooh, that kind of stung a little bit, right? So let's jump in and look at these. And I'm just going to name them. I didn't put them on the screen. But uh, the first one, verse 13, this is a guy who won't face things. The lion, uh, the sluggard says there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the streets. He takes the attention off the real situation and creates a delusional situation in order to get out of real work. Uh, maybe this guy even begins to believe his own excuses, but he's rationalizing his avoidance of work, right? Uh, do you think they're really in, you know, running around Jerusalem, there's a lion running down the streets that was keeping this guy from getting to the office or the market? That's not what was happening here. But he's inventing a scenario and creating drama. Do you know anyone that creates drama that distracts from the real problem of needing to just buckle down and what they need to do what they need to do in life? Instead of solving the problem, they create drama that prevents them from actually focusing on the thing that they need to do. And they're always making a scene about their personal problems rather than figuring things out. So this is a person who they won't face things as they really are. Next one. Verse 14, we're going to see someone who won't start things. As a door turns on its hinges, 
So the sluggard does on his bed. Don't you love that image? The guy who's just tossing and turning, he's there, and he's just like rolling over and rolling back this way and maybe going back that way and then he's going to come back over this way. But, uh, but think about a hinges. Does the hinge ever leave the wall? No, a hinge on a door is attached. It just stays there. And this is someone who they're not going to get out of bed. They're never going to get started. Uh, what happens when you lay in bed too long? You get a little restless, don't you? So he, this guy's tossing and turning. He, can't, he doesn't need sleep. He's, he's just kind of rolling around, but he's too lazy to get up. And so this is a person who has a hard time getting anything started, and he delays the day. And maybe, maybe he's feeling a little down, or maybe he stayed up a little too late. Students, maybe he stayed up a little too late. Um, had a hard time getting moving in the morning. And so he's just like a hinge on a bed, rolling around, but won't get going. Next one, verse 15, you see someone who, verse 14 is someone who won't start things. Verse 15, someone who won't finish things. The sluggard buries his hand in his dish, and it wears him out before he can bring it to his mouth. Uh, this is meant to be comedy. Like, you can laugh at this. I think it's meant to be a funny image. Uh, you see someone with a cereal, and they get the biggest spoon, and they're like, <gasps> oh, it's too much. Like, I don't think I can get it all the way up here, you know? And, um, and so it's meant to be sort of a comic or, or kind of poking fun at this. But this is someone who starts a project but can't ever get it to the finish line. They're great at launching out new ideas. They're not good at actually accomplishing them. It's someone who looks great on the resume, but you hire them and it doesn't seem like you ever get a project to the finish line. Uh, someone that you've always got to be checking in on and following up. Uh, someone that needs a parent to always go, hey, have you got this done? Hey, have you got that done? Hey, have you got the next, you know, and they're working on that, or someone who has to have a boss that's constantly checking in. Uh, I remember we had uh, someone that worked with me one day, and we literally had to, like, I do, we just need, a, we need a, an exact list. This is years ago of everything you do because it just stuff wasn't getting done, and we couldn't figure out why. And so like, we have to have you write everything down you do all day long so that we know what's going on, and that didn't last very long. Just say that because it was not a healthy situation. It was someone who couldn't finish things. Verse 16 says he won't learn things. Um, oh, this is a person who won't learn things. The sluggard is wiser in his own eye than seven men who can answer sensibly. A seven is actually in the Bible the number of completion. So when it says seven men, it means the whole world knows the right thing to do here. And this person's smarter than everyone else. Is what, is what it's really trying to say. Is that This is a know-it-all who won't listen to others. Even if the whole team has a reasonable solution for a problem... This person is not teachable. They won't follow along, and they know the right way to do it. And yet, it never seems to get done. Uh, what's the fifth kind of dysfunction we have to deal with? Is uh, he won't plan? Is a person who won't plan things? Look at Proverbs twenty, verse four. The slugger does not plow in autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Meaning, uh, the person who doesn't think ahead and start working well in advance of when he needs something to show up is going to not enjoy the things. He's going to have nothing at the end of the day. Um, you have to learn to connect the dots between deferred gratification. Uh, what, what he's talking about is you have to learn to connect the dots between all the work it takes to get to a point before you get to the payoff. And so we want instant gratification, but work it requires us to do things in advance of the payoff. And so this person doesn't anticipate the outcomes, uh, but they've got this kind of false expectations that things are just going to miraculously work out, right? Uh, you notice that he says, he will seek at harvest. So he didn't plant anything, but it still comes around harvest time, and he's like, where's all the stuff? 
right? So they expect things to take place and to show up, but they didn't actually do the work. Um, this is actually easy. It's, it's funny to think about now because you're like, man, if you don't scatter seed, if you don't plow, if you don't plant, if you don't water, you don't do that, nothing's obviously going to grow. Uh, but we think somehow we're more advanced than that. We're not going to experience the same thing, right? Uh, and yet we, we tend to deal with the same, same sort of problems. Um, it, you know, it's that students, it's turning the gaming system off and going to bed. It's putting your phone down or turning, you know, turning the computer of YouTube away. Uh, it's stop streaming, uh, kind of resisting streaming another episode of that show. Like, you know, instead of doing, you know, seven, you just do two that night and go to bed. You know, and so that you can actually get up and focus on your work and pay attention in class and learn those things. And sometimes as a, as a young person, it's, it's difficult to see how those things add up to better scores, better grades, better opportunities. Sometimes it's hard when you go to work to see how being super faithful in these mundane tasks of your work pay off in the end because you get good reviews and you see how that works. And yet we need to learn to do that. Number six is the person who won't be content with things. Proverbs 13.4 says, the soul of the sluggard, I love that word, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. See, the, it's, it gets to something else. Another, uh, another passage says, the desire of the sluggard kills him. So that, there, there's an internal drive, right? Your soul, your, your desire drives you. you. There's a desire for something that's there. And yet, eventually, because he won't do any work, um, he gets nothing. So this is a person who's he's restless. He's unsatisfied. He wants more. There's something in him that's compelled to, to grab hold of more from life but he can't connect the dots between what he wants and actually the things it's going to take to commit to get there and to do those things. And so he's needy and compulsive about wanting things without doing the little by little work that it requires to get there. But don't let your craving for something great get in the way of the little things it takes to build, uh, build a path in that direction. Uh, young people, can I just say this? One of the things that you see culturally in, in, in our world right now, and a lot of studies have shown this, is that everyone thinks they jump, they should be able to jump in as the CEO. And so you, you come into the office on day one of work and you think, well, I should have a voice in that decision. And uh, you, you come to people that have worked their way up and people that have been in that, oper- been in that situation and people that have been in that career and they've, they, they've got battle wounds and, and stripes of working their way through things all along. And yet on day one, you think, well, I should have equal voice with them. And I'm just going to tell you, that's just not the way it works. And what Proverbs is trying to say is the world doesn't work this way. And it doesn't mean that you're not valuable, that you're not important, or that you don't matter. It just means that you don't get a voice in everything on day one. That you actually have to work and earn credibility. And demonstrate faithfulness in order to work your way to something better. And so the way the world typically works is the one who's faithful and little will be given more. That as you show yourself faithful in a little bit in the mundane tasks, you'll be trusted and you'll be given more freedom. You'll be given more responsibility. And then you can work your way through. Parents, that's also the way your kids ought to experience life in your home. Uh, We tell our kids all the time, especially when they became teenagers, it's like, look, when you were little, we had to manage everything in your life because you didn't know not to run in the road or stick stick your finger in the oven, all right? Or or the, the light socket. So we had to manage literally everything you had to do. But as you get older, we need to be able to give you more and more 
freedom as, you're, as you display more and more responsibility. And the problem of being a teenager is you've literally got one foot in both worlds. And some days you're going to act like a little kid that needs to be kind of given all the instructions. And some days you're going to start to step out and, and actually look pretty responsible. We can give you a little more. And so as you step into this space, we can actually give you more freedom as you manage that well. But whenever you, take it, whenever you don't manage that well, we have to pull it back and treat you a little more like a kid. And so that's part of that maturing process for you young people to understand that that's the way life works and that, you, um, that as you show yourself faithful in, in little things, you can be given more things that you, and more freedom and more responsibility. Uh, number seven is a person who won't help, the team, help with the team's things. Uh, Proverbs 10, 26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Um, so th- those who send the sluggard are who? Those are his bosses. Right? These are the people that manage the sluggard's work. And so they, they send the sluggard out on, out on a job or out on a task or out on a responsibility. They give him an assignment. They give him something to go and do. And it says, like vinegar to the teeth. Any of you like that? It just sounds awful, doesn't it? You almost smell it. You just read it and you're just like, ah, oh, I don't want to do that. Or smoke to the eyes. Uh, any of you... Any of you like just sitting there in the fire? It's like wherever you get around a a campfire, which way does the wind blow? Wherever wherever you're standing, right? And so you're always moving around trying to avoid it because you don't like smoke to the eyes. What it says is working with this guy is like dealing with smoke or like vinegar on your teeth. It's it's actually, it's painful to work with this person. So to those who send someone who who does not have good work habits, it's actually really, it's, it's actually really painful to be their overseer or boss or teacher because you know they're going to actually cause harm. Verse 18, 9, you actually see that it's not just painful, it's actually harmful to the team. Uh, it says, whoever is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. So the one who doesn't follow through and, and complete his tasks and his work is actually akin to someone who is destructive to a team and to a, to a, a company. And so this guy's helpless in his mess and he's, he's useless to his employers. Uh, number eight, uh, this is a, man, is a man who seeks to control things. Proverbs eleven twenty six, 26. Uh, the people curse the one who holds back grain, but blessing is on the head of him who sells it. This is an interesting proverb. It's a little hard to follow on, uh, kind of on the front end. Let me tell you what it's talking about. Uh, the people, people curse, curse out the guy who says who holds back grain. This is someone who's, they're just manipulative. They're controlling. They've, they've got all the power. They've got the stuff. They've got the thing. And they're just not going to do what, what's helpful to someone else because they can, they can kind of get the upper hand. And so if I hold back grain, if I, if I just control everything, then I've got the upper hand and I don't have to risk anything for you. And it says, what effect does that have on those around them? You ever, any of you have to work around someone who's really controlling at the office or at work? It's really difficult and it's exhausting. And it says, but the one who is free, is flexible, who, who provides for those in time of need, it says blessing is on him. Uh, number nine, the one who creates conflict over thing. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Greedy actually means wide of appetite. I'm like, this guy's got a big appetite. He wants more, right? He's greedy. He wants to hoard. And so he's always angling for more, bickering over every deal, haggling over pennies, pinching every little bit he can get out of a situation, out of a greed. But you notice what it is that drives this greed? 
It's contrasted with, but, the one who trusts in the Lord. See, the greedy person is greedy because he doesn't trust the Lord. He doesn't trust that the Lord's going to provide. He doesn't trust that, that God's bigger than his situation. And so he thinks, it's all up to me, and I have to grab every little bit I can get all along the way because God's not going to take care of me. But the one who knows God's got him is free from that. And it says he will be enriched because his trust in the Lord. Verse uh, number nine uh, is the man who uh, creates conflict. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, is, oh, I get that out of The man who distorts things. When you look at number nine, the man who distorts things. Proverbs 11. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. So evil or dishonest or uh, work that lacks integrity, it says leads to deceptive wages. What it means is it leads to a payoff that's not nearly as good as you thought it was going to be. That you thought it was going to give you this big payoff, but it was actually deceptive because when the payoff came, it wasn't very satisfying uh, because you know that you had to manipulate something or, or, or work something through lack of integrity. You had to cheat to get what you got. But the one who sows righteousness, he says, gets a sure reward. Uh, another way to say that would be a true reward. He, he experiences um, actual actually something satisfying because of the work in which he did, the honest day's labor. Uh, next is the one who corrupts things. Proverbs twenty twenty three. Uh, this dysfunction uh, is pretty obvious. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. Um, what's it talking about here is if you go to the market in that day or if you're going to, to sell grain or going to sell something, you would oftentimes put it on a weight, on, on a scale and you would see how much this was and then you pay a certain fee for that. And what he's talking about is someone who they've, they've rigged the system. So they've built something into the system that gives them more uh, that, that somehow manipulates and gives money more to them in certain ways. And so it's unequal weights is cheating or dishonesty. It's cutting up corners. It's rolling up your hours. And what does it say? That, how does God feel about someone who does this to someone else? It's an abomination. I'll tell you why it's an abomination. Um, if you look around this room, everyone in this room is a human being created in the image of God, worthy of respect, worthy of kindness, uh, because they bear the fingerprint of the Creator. And we are all made by the, same, uh, by the same Lord. And so when we cheat someone else, it actually dehumanizes them. What it says is, you are not worthy of my respect. You're not worthy of my honoring you as another individual who's been created in the image of God. And so if I swindle you to get a little more for myself, it's okay. And it's dishonoring to God. It's why God sees that as an abomination. It's a lack of personal integrity that's individualized that leads to a lack of justice, which is corporate. And this is evident in so many areas of our world where you see this kind of thing happening, where everyone's in it for as much as they can get. It's why uh, there, there, you can see study after study after study where corporations have looked and figured out, how do I squeeze something out of this? in order to get more to the bottom line so that I can get to uh, the next quarter and get the next statement and get the next, get the next bonus. And it's the way in which we operate, and yet what it says is it's an abomination to the Lord. False scales are not good. And number 12, uh, I'm sorry, the next one is he who withhold, withholds things. Proverbs uh, eleven twenty four says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, but only suffers want. 
Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. This one sucks. Uh, one gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Uh, to give is to be generous. Yeah, this is someone who, they have no responsibility or obligation to give, but they give freely because it's out of their character. It's out of who they are. They're going to be a generous person. They want to give something away. And so they have no responsibility, but they choose to do that. And they do so freely, meaning there's no strings attached. And it contrasts that with one, one who gives freely is contrasted with one who withholds. Now withholds, this person, it's interesting here, is another withholds what he should give. And so this person actually has a responsibility to give and they still hold back. They actually don't want to share. They don't want to, they don't want to get, fulfill their responsibility and yet they're still not satisfied. They only suffer want. Have you seen that pattern in life as well? Those who are stingy are still unsatisfied. And those who are generous seem to have as much as they need. That's what Proverbs is trying to, try to help us understand. Selfish people are always needy. Generous people are always wealthy in the right ways. And the things that matter most, selfish people are always needy and generous people are always wealthy. And one guy says it this way. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. And this is the um, kind of the, the heartbeat of Proverbs. So uh, let me end with this as we think about kind of what, what do we do with, with our work and with our world. Um, one guy, Tim Keller has written, our work can be a calling only if it's reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interests. Thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person and undermines society. See, if you work only for self, it's actually going to be a burden to you, and it's actually going to undermine the, the good and the flourishing of our world. We're ultimately called to be, something, um, to be something bigger than that. We need a spiritual foundation as we head into a new year school. We need a spiritual foundation as we head to work, as we do the things that we're called to do, and ultimately it starts with God. Uh, let me... Let me just make a gospel connection here for us as we close. When you think about Jesus and Jesus coming to earth, what did Jesus do for us? He took the form of a servant, Philippians 2 says. That Jesus, though he was our creator, though he was the king of the universe, though he was God, um, he took on human flesh and he became one of us, not just one of us, he actually became a servant or a slave in menial labor. He washed our feet in humility in order to bring about our salvation and gave his life up willingly on a cross, uh, suffering a humiliating death. Um, you notice on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's because his work was done. It was completed. He had done what he had come to do to bring about our salvation. Second Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Friends, because of Jesus, you're no longer needy. The gospel frees you from, to work without compulsion, to work without dysfunction. At the same time, the gospel compel, or compels you to work with humility and faithfulness, knowing that the dignity of your work is there in an honest day's, in an honest day's labor. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help us to enter this next year as humble servants who look like Jesus. Father, help us to trust you with our work, uh, for those who are out of work, Father, I ask that you provide for them. Uh, Father, for these students who are starting a new year, would you help them to see uh, the good of going to school and learning and learning a, a trade or a task or uh, a material? 
so that they might prepare themselves for the, the good work that you have for them in the days ahead. Uh, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, that they might see the humble work of him uh, walking this earth, washing the feet of, uh, of other people and giving his life for them, that they might have the riches of heaven and the riches of relationship with him one day. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.